glad you're here today. Thanks for showing up and, and being a part of Next. We're honored that you would choose to spend some of your Sunday here in Next with us at Grace Church. As we often say, um, we hope that what you hear today encourages you and inspires you. We want you to feel good whenever you leave, but um, we also hope that maybe what you hear today will challenge you and motivate you as well. Podcasters, thank you for listening in and being a part wherever you are, whatever you're doing. We appreciate you spending some time with us today as well. Uh, coffee's hot. Still some donuts and pastries over there if you'd feel so inclined. Those of you that have been here, uh, how's everybody doing? Y'all doing all right? Okay, well, welcome to church on Sunday. Those of you that have been here, have been here the past few weeks know that we're currently in a series called Listen, Look, and Speak. We started talking about listening for the voice of God and how that voice often comes through others uh, or in a whisper. And then three weeks ago, we started talking about look and how you see what you see and how we can miss the things that God is doing in our lives right now because it isn't what we expected. It doesn't look like what we thought it would look like or if you're Jason, it doesn't look like what you want it to look like. So last week we heard from Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church and his message, you already know the fear of running out. And I uh, did hear from a few people that that really spoke to them. And I feel like it's right in the vein of what we've been doing. But that message dealt with how we often miss the supply that God has for the needs that we currently have because it's right in front of us. Does anybody remember? It's the, the three ends. It's normal. It's nearby. It's natural. It's now. That's it. It's normal. It's natural. It's now. It's nearby. Maybe that was the one. I'm, I'm confusing normal and natural. So it was nearby. It's natural. It's normal. And it's now. So uh, those two lessons in Furtick's sermon were really about how you look at God and what he's doing. So that's where we've been, and we're kind of going to stay in this flow uh, for the next few weeks of, of talking about perspectives and how we look at things. But I want to I shift gears just a little bit today and make things a little bit more personal. Um, and I'll get into why I'm doing it, but eventually you'll understand that this is what I needed to hear, and we're hoping that it'll apply to the rest of you. But I want us to spend some time today digging into how we look at other people. And we're going to call this one, How You See Who You See. So let's, let's read some Bible. Um, scripture's coming from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, for those of you taking notes. It says that Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but Early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned 
throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So context matters, right? So let's, let's set this up. Jesus is at Jerusalem, and he's at the temple, and this, this crowd gathers because word's getting out about Jesus and the stuff that he does and the stuff that he says. And so they, they crowd around, and Jesus begins to teach them. And while he's teaching, something very strange happens. In verse 3, it says, as he was speaking. So Jesus is in the middle of his next lesson, and they drag in this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the whole church. So let's, let's get that in our brains first, because that's pretty radical. Now here we go, because there, there are perspectives and frameworks. That's what we talked about with how you see what you see. There are perspectives and frameworks that are at work already. Anybody notice something strange here in this scenario? Anybody notice something, something kind of missing Exactly. Thank you, Court. Let's try it again. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of, the, of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Yeah, Courtney, I like that. Where's the dude? I didn't make an A in biology, but I've been on the planet for 45 years now. I've learned a few things, and it takes two to tango, right? Yeah, I don't even know what you said, but we're going to ignore it. So look, there's already this what because with how you see what you see, uh, we talked about perspectives and frameworks and how we look at things. So there's already a, a, some perspectives and frameworks that are, that are being revealed here that's at work. It's a certain way of looking at someone, in this case, someone of a certain gender or a certain class or a certain station or someone that sinned in a certain way. And looking at them, because you sinned a certain way, or because you're from a certain class, or because you're of a certain gender, you're somehow disposable or of less value. The man doesn't get public shaming. Just the woman. So there's this cultural perspective, this cultural framework, this boxed-in framework of opinions and values already in play before we even get to the deeper problems at work in this story. So right away, there's this cultural assumption at work before we even get to, to what's really happening here. That they could just drag her, embarrassing her, and the man gets off scot-free? Frameworks, perspectives, cultural assumptions. My friend Royce Wilson called them boxes. It's a box of thinking. So they bring her before Jesus. Now ask yourself, at this point, at this point in the story, do the religious leaders that are dragging her up before Jesus care at all about her? No. No. What are, what are they hoping to accomplish? Is this about her? No, it's, it's about Jesus. What specifically, I remember the text, what specifically are they about in regard to Jesus? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to do? Trap him. Right, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to test him. So let, let's keep going deeper. Why are the religious leaders wanting to test Jesus in front of everybody 
that day. Everybody's outside the temple. Jesus is teaching. Why do the religious leaders want to test Jesus in front of the crowd? Say it again, Steve. Reason to condemn him. Right. They're trying to, they're trying to prove him wrong. They're trying to discredit Jesus. They're trying to prove him wrong and themselves here it comes. They're trying to prove him wrong and themselves right. But caught in the middle of this desperate struggle that they have to be proven right is this woman. Broken, sinful, hurt, ashamed, alone, afraid. And I, I just I have to wonder. I, I try real hard to put myself in the place of some of these Bible characters, and I do a real good job identifying with, like, the broken, hurt person. And I have to wonder what was going through her mind in this moment. I wonder if her internal dialogue was like mine whenever I mess up. See, this is what you get. This is what you get. You messed up. You betrayed your husband. You betrayed God. It'd probably be best if they do go ahead and stone me because then I don't have to live this miserable life anymore of being unfulfilled, unwanted. That, that, that's what my internal dialogue sounds like. I wonder if, if, that's, what, if that's what hers sounded like. It, it'd be better for them to go ahead and stone me so, that, so I don't have to keep living this unsatisfied and unloved, miserable life of mine. Now watch this. Because it's not that adultery is okay. This is not some type of commentary to excuse wrongdoing. I mean, we'll call it what it is. Adultery is sin. It's, it's one of the big ten, right? The Ten Commandments. God said a long time ago, don't do it. So it's wrong. It, it wrecks lives. It wrecks families. It destroys minds and relationships. God doesn't like it. But what this story shows us is that Jesus does not allow a broken person, a person who is broken because of sin that they have committed, he does not allow a broken person to be used as a pawn for someone else's sense of justification. Oh, Jason, I, I would never do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to somebody. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use somebody else's brokenness or someone else's sinful state as, as a justification for my own problems and for my own state, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Careful, careful. Careful, careful. Be very careful about how you talk. Watch me. Let's be very careful about how you talk about what's going on in our country right now. We, we can't politicize everything and sign up for a religious cultural war, mad at the liberals for protesting, Furious about the Democrats whenever they're sitting, whenever they should be standing and clapping. Confused about what the president just said in that last tweet. I'm serious. Look at what that group is doing. Look at what they're doing to our country. We can't forsake the justification. Justification means being made right. We can't forsake the being made right that comes from God and enter into this po a political or a religious battle arena with our battle gear on and our Bible battle axes in hand ready to crush the heads of the infidel and swing for the fences. Because when we take people who are caught in the act of adultery and vilify them 
and make them the enemy, what we're doing is we're taking broken people and making them the object of our desire to be right. And we, when we do that, we are not in line with what Jesus wants. Next, let's look. Let, let's, let's proceed with caution and be really careful about what we say, about what we write, about what we post, about what we like or heart or thumbs up or favorite and how we think about these issues. Because at the end of every one of these issues, no matter what the issue is, at the end of every issue is a person. A living, breathing, thinking, dreaming, hopeful human being that Jesus loves so much he died for them. I, I was convicted to the core. So this is where this is all coming from. I was convicted to the core the other night. Something on TV that just, I mean, it set me off. I don't even remember what it was, but it just set me off. And I deployed one of my best superpowers. Judgmental Jason came boiling out of me like the Hulk. I'm telling y'all, I, I, was, I was saying some stuff, and I was right, and I was telling everybody in the house about how right I was and how much I knew, and I was letting everybody know about it, and I was very unloving. I was very unlike Jesus. So we, we've got to be careful. We can't endorse adultery, and I, I'm using adultery because that's the one in the story, but you fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. We can't endorse whatever. That's not what Jesus did. But nor can we afford to move into a framework where people become objects. See, she's not a person right now. She's not a soul right now. She's an object to the religious people. And they just they come in and throw her down like she's so much garbage. I'm talking to us today about how we see who we see. I'm trying to show you that there, there's a serious flaw in how all of us look at others sometimes. Because i got a stinking suspicion it's not just me. There's a flaw in how we look at others sometimes. Not all of the time. But sometimes we just get up on our religious soapbox. Here, here's what we have to be careful of. And this is how it works. When, when people fall, when people make mistakes, if you are living out of self-justification and self-righteousness, if, if you're coming from the human framework of pharisaical self-justification, if you're, if you're operating in that box from that framework and perspective, when someone else's flawed humanity is exposed, you will instantly get this rush of superiority whenever someone else's failure is exposed in front of you. And you will suddenly go, aha! <laughs> Inferior person. I must be okay because I didn't sin like that person. Ooh. Yes, one less competitor on my way to world domination in Jesus' name. Come on, I, I know I'm over-exaggerating. But God didn't call us 
to world domination at the expense of someone else's shame. He called us to, to love the world. God didn't call us to be Pharisees that need to validate our own righteousness based on the brokenness of another human being. He called us to love the world. God didn't call us to look at others through this framework and perspective of comparison and judgmentalism. He called us to love the world. I'm telling y'all, this got a hold of me. To love the world. Black, white, Asian, Caucasian, Something else, don't know. Gay, straight, bisexual, transgender, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, doesn't matter. Ex-con, ex-wife, ex-husband, religious, atheist, agnostic. God said, I love every single one of them. And I would really like it if you would do the same thing. Because I, I do, God said, I, I kind of expect you to be like me. And my nature is love. So Nancy Pelosi, I know it grates on my nerves too, but God said I died for her just like I died for you. <laughs> when this woman is thrown in front of Jesus, she, she's an object. And whenever we get that, that rush of superiority or self-righteousness, we've taken away their humanity, and God's, He's just not cool with that. And we'll feel, we, in here today, me, right here, up here, I will feel superior to the self-righteous Pharisees in this story. But before I go off like that, and before you go off like that, I want you to think for just a second about every people group that you don't deal with, you, you don't agree with. And you've probably got more than one. Every, every social, social group that you don't like their position or their ideas or their stance on the issue or where they're taking this great country. And I'm kind of mocking that a little bit, but... It, that, that's, and the reason why I'm mocking is because that's code. It's code for objectifying people. And I'm guilty of it. That's code for taking away people's humanity so we can prove ourselves right in this world. This is not the model of Jesus. This is not the example that Christ lived in front of us. This is not the demonstration of Christ. I, I'm like feeling something today and I'm trying really hard to be a good boy. But I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. We desperately need to look at the problem and hold to their humanity. We, we can't ever let people become things. Yes, there's a problem. Yes, there's sin. But I'm going to hold to and honor your humanity. Jesus never let a broken person become a thing, a pawn, or an object. And can we just settle something right here? This occurred to me today. Actually, very early this morning, it's okay for somebody to not be right before they come to Jesus because a lot of us have been with Jesus a long time and we're still not right. Look at your neighbor and tell him, You ain't right. Look at another neighbor and tell him, Don't laugh, you ain't right either. <laughs> So listen, if, if we will cut ourselves so much slack in the righteousness department 
after we have been exposed to so much for so long, maybe we could cut the broken people that we touch every day a little bit more slack, seeing as the only Jesus that they might have contact with is the Jesus that's coming out of us? It's just a thought. And it was early in the morning, so... Let, let's look at how Jesus responds. Let's go back to, back to John 8. We, we've left this poor woman there, and she's thrown before Jesus by the religious, religious elite. We need, to, we need to fix that. So we don't want to leave her there. So there, there she is. She's an object. She's a tool. They intend to use her to make a point. And the point was not her restoration. It wasn't about how she felt. It wasn't about her humanity. It wasn't about how to restore her marriage. It wasn't about how to get her right with God. It wasn't about how to heal her brokenness. Because there was some type of pain or some type of hurt that drove her to that. She didn't wake up one morning and just say, you know what, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. That's, that's something I've just not experienced. I think it's time for me to experience that. Today's the day. Mark that off the to-do list. I'm going I'm to commit it. No, there was some type of pain, some type of hurt, some type of unfulfillment behind that. Was it wrong for her to do? Yes. Was she evil? No, she's just a broken person. So, but their intent, is it, it's not geared toward that. That's not how they see who they see. The point was about how to uphold the law for the Pharisees. The point was about how to uphold the law and a very specific interpretation of the law at that. It was more about, uh, about, a, about a religious group needing to prove publicly that they were right. Does that sound familiar? It's so ironic to me that in an effort to prove rightness, we do the very things that make us unright. In an effort to prove justification, we do the very things that make us unjustified. Rightness, righteousness is about embracing the work of Jesus. Righteousness is about the character of God and the fruit of the Spirit. And that is way more than it is of just a particular position. We wind up forfeiting the fruit of the Spirit and the character of God in an effort to take an intellectual stance and prove that we're right. Brothers and sisters, this should not be so. And we'll use Scripture to justify it, and it'll sound right, and it'll feel right, and it'll look right in our own eyes, but it's nothing like Jesus. So they throw her down, right? They, they point her out. And this is about dethroning Christ. It's about embarrassing Jesus. We've got to get this loose cannon maverick who's challenging the way we've always done it. Glory to God to shut his mouth. Let's get the challenger to our tradition out of the way. He's going to have a bigger church than we do if we don't put him in his place. Whenever the spirit of religion gets a hold of you, everything you do to maintain and lift up the construct of your framework is justified. The end will always justify the means. We're going to make sure tradition stays in its rightful place. And that makes it okay for you to dehumanize another person. When you're right and you have to be right at any cost, that's the danger of how you see who you see. Now, how does Jesus respond? They throw her down. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I, I, my brain goes back, some of you, to uh, the, the history of love at the first church because I was the bad priest. I was the bad priest, and I did a lot of shouting and screaming. And this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
What say you, Jesus? And, and we're not going to get bogged down in a whole lot of particulars today. They said the law of Moses says that she should be stoned. This is actually kind of this is actually pretty deep. Roman law did not allow for the execution of a person for this kind of thing. Okay, you committed adultery, but <laughs> you don't die for that, according to Roman law. So in their mind, the Pharisees had Jesus in a bit of a pickle. You know, this, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard for Jesus. We got it. Because how, how's he going to appease the law of Moses and uphold the law of Moses and still appear to be a merciful leader like he's presenting himself to be? You know, he preaches all this mercy and forgiveness and love stuff. We've got him. We're, we're going to make Jesus look like a fool. And the fuel for their efforts, the, the primary resource that they're using in their religious endeavors is this broken life. And I, I know I've hit this several times now, but I mean, it's really hit me hard over the past two weeks. We cannot engage in this public or private discourse, political, religious, whatever, at the expense of hurting already broken people. Jesus wouldn't approve. Let's be consistent with his character. I, I got to get off of that. So what, what do you say, Jesus? Adultery, Ugh. Moses, stoner, what do you say? This is the only recorded instance that we have in Scripture of Jesus writing. And so he stoops down and he starts to write on the ground. Now, we don't know what he writes. There's been a lot of speculation. Some people think that Jesus wrote the name of the man who was with the woman. What, what if he wrote, court? what if he wrote, where is the dude question mark maybe he writes that maybe that's maybe maybe he writes what he writes is something that points out what makes it what makes you think it's okay to bring her here why is it okay to wreck her world and hold her accountable and not the man what's up with that pharisees what's up with that religious elite why is one person, here it comes, why is one person expendable in your economy but not another? Why will you write off one person to prove a point or take a stance and not another? So what we have is Jesus like doodling on the ground. We don't know what it is. Interesting side note though, in that culture, when, whenever someone would come to you with this big theological question, cultural question, if you were to dust off your sandals or to straighten your robe, or right in the dirt, what you're saying is, your question is not worthy of my engagement. This, this is a nothing question. It's not just an interesting cultural side note, though, because I think it's got a little bit of application to us right here in 2019, because we'll wonder sometimes, why is there not more demonstration of the power of God in my life? Well... If we are involved in the dehumanizing of people in order to make a religious point, then Jesus is going to doodle. Oh, you need supernatural power? Hmm, okay. Oh, you need me to show up in the middle of your crisis? Yeah, sure you do. Religious elite, you're not, you're not worthy. You're not worthy of my engagement. Because you're just in it to justify yourself while hurting people get run over. And the only way that I'm, I'm, I'm talking as Jesus here, the only way that I'm going to engage with you is when you recognize the need that you have for me to come into your life and make you right and fix your mess. 
but you're too busy trying to dethrone me and enthrone yourself, and that's not how this works. It can't work that way. And so we get frustrated while Jesus doodles because he's not answering our big questions. Oh, God, where are you? God, I need you right now. I need your power. I need, I need your healing. I need supernatural power. I need the gifts of the Spirit. I need you to show up in the middle of my faith crisis right now, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, you need to tend to that hurting woman over there. You need to show my character to that broken life. You need to extend love to that thing that you don't agree with or endorse. You need to humble yourself and minister to the person involved in that thing that offends you so much. Ooh. So Jesus doodles. But they were insistent, just pushing and pushing and pushing, kept on, kept on. And finally Jesus says, all right, fine, have it your way. The sinless one, you get to cast the first stone. The perfect one among you, the one that's never sinned, okay, you get to start the execution. Make a hole, come on forward. Get to the biggest rock you can find, the one who has never fallen, the one who's never had a bad thought, who's never broken the law, who is absolutely perfect, you go ahead and start the show. And I love it. I love it that Jesus does that. Because their framework and their perspective on how they viewed themselves and how they viewed this woman is blown wide open and all of the air just <laughs> leaves the room. Y'all ever had those moments? I'm serious. Have y'all ever had a moment like that? where somebody drops like a little bit of godly love and wisdom into a situation, and it's like time just uh, stops for a minute. And, and people's, what hap what's happening is people's perspectives are realigning. Your framework is realigning. You're like, wait. I love it. I love it whenever that happens. I love it. I really love it whenever it happens to other people. <laughs> And it'll, it'll happen at the break room, at work, or on the job site, even here in church if you want to, you know, get a little crazy. Whenever, whenever somebody drops something of God's character into a situation, and that air just... And right away, there's just a different atmosphere in the place. And suddenly, we are in a new dimension. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean literally. We are in a new dimension. A new dimension is introduced. One that says, come in. Come in. Be a part. Change your perspective. Come out of the box. Get a new framework. This is a new way of thinking. This is a new way of looking at people. This is a new way of seeing how you see who you see. And it's a miraculous thing. When through you, mercy just bah, kicks down the door and grace goes off like a frag grenade in the room. When that old framework falls apart and suddenly people have a choice. This is, I'm going to choke on this word. About to knock all my teeth out on this word. But people have a choice to leave the dumb dichotomies of their past. Dichotomy. That's whenever you have to choose one or the other. It's either this or that. It's either this way or that way. And the way of Christ, he suddenly comes in and introduces this third, Brian Tier, I love you for this, a, a third previously unexplored option. An option that upholds the Word of God and never dehumanizes somebody. 
a third previously unexplored option that manifests love and righteousness. A third previously unexplored option that demonstrates mercy and obedience. And everybody's going, whoa! What just happened, dude? Jesus happened, son. He needs to happen a lot more often. Jesus just happened. That's what happened in that moment. Can, can, can you imagine what that was like? Because people in the crowd that day, you've seen people do this at work. Whenever somebody drops a bombshell at work, hey, the project's not going to be finished on time, and everybody's like trying to align, okay, what side of the line do I need to be on? Who do I need to be standing by or sitting by in this meeting? They're trying to align themselves. Jesus, Pharisees. Where, where? I mean, I really like Jesus. He's really cool, but these Pharisees, man, they play for keeps. They don't play around. Where, where do I need to be? And everybody's trying to figure out which side of the line to gravitate toward. Frameworks being revealed, perspectives being exposed. How you see who you see is coming into the light. And Jesus presents an option. Watch, watch, this is, watch what happens. This is so good. So good. He presents an option. It isn't about her. The whole problem with this scenario, Jesus said, the whole problem isn't her. It's all of you little judges. It's all of you little judges that have failed to consider your own need of God. You made yourself superior to her because your sin isn't the same as her sin. And in your superiority, you feel the right, based on the Word of God, to dehumanize somebody and strip away the very image of God that they were created in. To take away their dignity because they've fallen in a way that you don't fall. So to get this situation back in the proper perspective, I need to remind all of you religious gentlemen here in the crowd today, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been hurt and broken? Jesus makes it clear the answer every time is, is not exposing the problem or making a public spectacle of the problem. The answer is in seeing me. Not Jesus, me. Marty, Kelton, Rex, Steve. The answer is in seeing me accurately. Taking a long, hard look at Jason Cooper because I am the problem. Not that group, not what they're doing, not their stance on the issue. I am the problem. I'm the problem beneath the problem. Yes, Jesus, there's a problem. And the only way to deal with it appropriately is for me to say this. Jesus, I need you more than she does. We really, we're getting down to it now. That's the only way to deal with someone who has fallen like that is to say, God, I need you more than they need you. And when you put yourself in the place of needing God more than the one with the problem you're concerned about, then that's whenever you are in the perfect position to let the justification of God flow through you and into another life. And she gets to be human. And she gets to be made right. Just, just a little more here. Jesus said, okay, the perfect one among you cast the first stone. And what happens? They drop their stones 
and they walk out. So what happens now? Because there's no, there's no oxygen here. Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? Look at what's going on here. Let's keep in mind who's talking. This is Jesus. This is God made flesh. This is Old Testament giver of the law in flesh. The Holy One, the Righteous One, the Creator of everything. The One who is blameless and without sin. Y'all see where I'm going? Who says, who's accusing you? She looks around and she says, well, no one, Lord. There's nobody here accusing me. There's nobody left here that wants me to die. There's nobody left here that wants me to pay the price for my sin. There's nobody left here who wants to make an example, a public example of my mistake. Nobody who wants to publicly shame me for what I've done in private. And she's in the presence of God. Wow. I... I I don't know that y'all are getting that. Guess, guess who stayed besides the, just the rest of the crowd? Guess who stayed? Guess who was still there after all of the accusers were gone? Jesus stayed. Now, was Jesus sinful? Of course not. So based on His own requirement, based on His own prerequisite for stone throwing, He was the only person qualified. And what he's telling us is, even if you were as qualified as I am to throw the first stone, you wouldn't want to. Because when you get to the place that you understand what I'm about, and you have the right, you would never want to exercise it, because you would be the embodiment of love itself. So Jesus looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Now, he doesn't say, all right, now, go and live a happy life. Just use protection. You know, everything will be okay. He doesn't just pass it over. But he doesn't browbeat her with her shame either. He tells her, I don't condemn you either. I still love you. You're my, you're my daughter. Now get up. Go back to your life and stop doing this. It's the perfect picture of redemption. And there is nothing in our lives more powerful than that right there. How we see who we see, how we look at others, means we think like Jesus. We think redemptively. So whenever we're confronted with ideas we don't like, whenever we're confronted with people that take a very different stance on the issue than what we do, when people and groups challenge us and our tradition, our doctrine, we stifle condemnation and we think about how to love. Look, for, for, the, for the New Testament disciples, it wasn't their political affiliation or their, their stance on philosophy that turned the world upside down. It was the fact that they continued to love people in spite of open persecution that made the rest of the world say, what's up with these people? There must be something to Jesus after all. The problem beneath the problem 
is my own self-deception. The problem beneath the problem is that I don't see how much I still need Jesus. This box, this perspective, this framework that I'm operating from is one of my own construction. And it's my own efforts to self-correct. Self-justification. You know how to break out of that? It starts with this right here. Lord, I need you more than anybody else does. And if I can keep that in the front of my brain, more than Chuck Schumer, more than Nancy Pelosi, more than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, more than anybody, more than anybody else, I need Jesus more than anybody else. If I will operate from that perspective, then it will change how I see who I see. Lord, help us today. Help us today. Help our eyes. Help us in how we look at others. Help us how we look at ourselves. Lord, I'm, I'm hesitant to ask you to remind us of how much we need you. Lord, just make us remind us. Just, just, just do it. Make us remember how much we need you. Whenever I'm confronted with the people that make me uncomfortable because of their lifestyle, or their attitudes about certain things, or their belief systems. Lord, help me to not dehumanize them. Lord, to love them. Because I know how much you have loved me. In Jesus' name.